0: It is Monday, January 29th, 2018 at one o'clock Eastern time, and this is Admissions Live. I'm your host, Adam Castro, and on today's live broadcast, myth-busting enrollment marketing, we are joined by Michael Stoner and Gil Rogers. Admissions Live is part of the Higher Ed Live network. Our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's discussion by tweeting us using hashtag Higher Ed Live. All of our episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com or take Higher Ed Live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital-first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. We know you've wondered what prospective teens are thinking when they receive and read or ignore your institution's recruitment, marketing, and we are excited to kick off that conversation today. In partnership with NRCCUA, the myth-busting enrollment marketing research will uncover the best marketing channels and communication preferences that have the biggest influence on prospective teens perception of your institution. Don't miss your chance to sign up now and receive early access to the research results and the white paper releasing soon. Admissions Live is sponsored by NRCCUA, a membership organization supported for student success for over 44 years. NRCCUA members gain access to the Encore data lab platform gaining access to a wealth of data and analytics that drive better enrollment decisions. Additionally, Encora Data Lab supports digital marketing strategies, helping you combine the data in your inquiry pool with high-impact social media engagement strategies tailored to your institution. Learn more and get started at Encora.org. Okay, well, I'm really excited about today's episode. I have two tremendous uh, guests that really need no introduction, but uh, the first thing I want to do is is give them the floor uh, and just to tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and a little bit about what you do. Michael, why don't we start off with you?
1: All right. Uh, thanks, Adam. I'm president of M Stoner, and uh, I've um, been around for a little while in, uh, in higher ed, and uh, this Particular topic is one that I'm uh, really, um, that I find just completely fascinating. And it's been great to uh, work with Gil on uh, the research that we've done for the the past three years. We've had a good time. And uh, I think, well, speaking for myself, I've certainly learned a lot.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us today. Gil? Great to be here. Thanks, Adam.
2: Thank you, Adam. And yes, thank you, Michael. This has been a, a great opportunity to really shed some light on some myths and realities over the past few years. Uh, my name is Gil Rogers. I'm the director of marketing at NRCCUA. Um, been in admissions and enrollment management uh, for longer than I would like to say, but not as long as some other folks. Um, so I'm excited to, to be a part of this conversation and excited to uh, dive into some of these with, with Adam on the on the hot seat for a, a little bit.
0: Yeah, you can tell I'm fidgeting already. I'm getting a little <laughs> nervous about what's to come. But before we get to that, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the myth-busting survey? This is something that you guys have been doing for quite a while, and, and you're breaking kind of new ground with this study. So why don't you give the, the listeners a little bit of a background on it?
1: Well, I, I uh, about, about uh, four years ago, uh, Gil and I started talking about um, how we could do some research that was really focused on some of the things that come up during um, conversations and in blog posts and in tweets and stuff where people read something and all of a sudden they're totally convinced that every teen every every, uh, every teen everywhere is doing something because they just read a, a piece of national data from a survey that, that says that they're doing it. And so we started asking ourselves uh, what would happen if we uh, asked teens a set of questions, and then asked uh, professionals in admissions and marketing and web development in higher ed the same set of questions, just to see what we understood about what teens did and where there were gaps um, in our knowledge, and uh, you know, give us a give us a chance to sort of think about and recalibrate some of of our understanding of uh, this really important market. And, of course, um, even though the admissions market is changing and and students look a whole lot different than they did maybe 20 years ago, uh, teens are still a very, very important market for many of the institutions that we work with. And many of the people I know are really interested in doing a better job at Reaching teens and understanding more about how they uh, pursue um, an education and what they do, what they're looking for when they visit a website, and so that was that was our uh, original thinking about about the process.
2: Yeah, and I think just to just to add to that, you know, we st- when we did the first study um, three years ago now, with um, the title was, uh, was myth busting myth busting admissions, and the idea was looking specifically at admissions recruitment tactics, so mailers, emails, phone calls from admissions counselors, those sorts of things. Last year, we went kind of up a level and went specifically into a ch- one channel, so myth-busting websites, uh, knowing that it was the, the top resource that's used persistently throughout the process through a number of other research studies. Uh, we wanted to see what was most important, what content was most important, um, what kind of messaging, navigation, those sorts of things, and then from that we learned that there's uh, an appetite to look at the broader marketing mix so not just the messages a school a student gets from the admissions office but what about the messaging that most most often the marketing department is responsible for supporting and putting together? So not only just the website as a whole, which we know serves multiple masters with the development office and community relations and the president's office, et cetera, but also things like billboards, online advertising, display, um, retargeting, um, those sorts of things. So uh, myth-busting marketing, enrollment marketing is, is kind of a mix of overarching marketing efforts that an institution is using but with it with those admissions channels infused because the, with the goal being teens uh, you know we wanted to include things like text messaging uh and other legacy channels as well so it's it's fun to kind of look at the misalignment and alignment between some of these b- b- between the responses and some of these
0: yeah and i think this is well timed and particularly for me because one of my big pushes right now is to really you know find out w- where the student, how the students are going to react or what the students want from a a communication plan. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, speaking for someone that's on a campus, you know, you get busy, you get bogged down, you do a lot of copying and pasting from year to year in terms of strategy just because of time constraints and personnel constraints. Uh, And you can go a cycle, two cycles, three cycles without doing uh, another round of outreach to your prospective students or your current students to find out what they want. Uh, So I think this type of information is incredibly important because it gives you you know, a a bit of a case study, even though, you know, it's more national than local, but a bit of a case study to give you some insights on what your students are probably uh, thinking. Uh, And then it can really start a conversation on your individual campus about how you should be tailing your messaging. Um, So, and it takes a lot of time and it's a lot of effort, you know, for someone in my position as a vice president to work with a marketing office, to work with an admissions office, to try to calibrate all those strategies, but it's incredibly important to do so, I think.
1: Well, well I, th- I think that's right. And one of the things that um, I think we were trying to do with uh, the, ho- the whole series of studies that we've done is to encourage someone in your position to um, really think uh, carefully about some of the assumptions that you make or some of the assumptions that some of your colleagues make. You know, like we- we've-, we've got to put 20,000 videos on our website because teens are all about videos well (laughs) maybe not you know that's one of the things that we heard last year that yeah videos are are helpful and teens like them but it's not the first thing that that they look for so you know one of the things that suggested to me is that there's still um a real appetite for very high quality text on a website that is supported by videos not to say that videos aren't bad they have a choice you know, up the text site and shoot a bunch of videos. Maybe you should do the the text first uh, because it's really, really important. And then follow it up with videos. So so those are the kind of those are the kind of discussions that we were hoping that some of our research would inform as they occur on campuses with you know, people like you and your colleagues.
0: Awesome. Well let's jump right into the research itself now. This is why I'm on the hot seat. Michael and Gill gave me a list of eight uh, myths slash realities uh, to go over uh, with our viewers today. Uh, and after I present them, I'm going to kind of give my thoughts on where I think um, you know students lie in a particular myth and reality. Um, and Gill has already set the bar quite low for me in terms of getting it correct. So we're we're looking for about a 5.5 over under a 5.5 correct, um, you know, out of the eight. So we'll see. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Uh, the first myth of reality, most teens review dozens of websites during their college search and choice. Uh, and when I saw this, my first reaction was, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think there are a certain number of websites and, and I think kind of like the college search process where a student may apply to several institutions but only visit a couple. Uh, I think the, uh, the same could probably be said for websites where they're doing a lot of their searching uh, on uh, you know third-party sites, whether it just be a normal Google search or a partner um, like Niche.com or something like that, where they're doing some search and they're trying to get some testimonials from students. But when it comes to the meat and potatoes of coming to a college website, I think that is reserved for kind of the shorter list of in, of institutions that they're considering. Uh, mm-hmm. Gentlemen, how do I do?
1: So, so what you're really suggesting, Adam, is they've already done their sort. And they, they have a, a short list of institutions that they're looking at, and those are the ones that they're looking at, not dozens of institutions. Is that a fair assessment of what that's you what said? I'm,
0: that's what I'm going with.
1: All right. Well, you'll be interested to know that 66% of professionals uh, believe teens review 11 or more higher ed websites, 11 or more. So not dozens, but you know, quite a few uh, in their college search and choice process. And,
2: and that puts you in the 34% that are actually closer to the student voice. So you're at, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, Adam, that it's, you know, 23% of students in our survey said that they were, they explored 11 to 20 colleges, which is the highest end of the range that we gave them. Um, and 55% said 10 or fewer. So, um, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's, um, this propensity and opportunity to, there's, there's this propensity to do what we do as, as consumers, right? To do some third party evaluating and, and searching. You mentioned sites like Niche and, uh, and there's others, right? That students use to find and evaluate, compare schools side by side. And then from that kind of discovery process, filter out the schools that aren't necessarily a good fit then take that step to go to your .edu website uh, to to gather the official information that they're looking for, and then we have that whole study on myth busting websites that um, that tells you what what you need to have there when you get there. Um, but that's the that's that's uh, a great assessment. You're you're one for one
0: so far, Adam. Well, I think it's important that uh, you know everybody knows this because I think this helps us tailor the website. And, and you said there's a myth busting. Um, uh, research on the website itself that I encourage everybody to check out. But, you know, I, I think a lot of colleges and, you know, mining is certainly included in this, you know, try to be all things to all people on the website. So you're, you're you're trying to speak to someone just browsing, you're trying to speak to alumni, to donors, uh, when you really need to be focusing in on the prospective student that has you as one of the three schools that they're interested in. And I think that messaging is a lot different than when you're trying to speak to a search list of college board names of forty thousand uh, and directing them to your website so uh and i know michael i know i'm Stoner does a lot of work uh with institutions in terms of helping uh schools optimize their websites can you t- talk a little bit more about that
1: um yeah that's that's right adam we've we've done um uh, we've we worked on probably more than 300 uh web projects in higher ed and uh, actually, next Wednesday, Voltaire, uh, my partner Voltaire Moran, is hosting a free ed uh, website on uh, or a free webinar on higher ed um, website uh, redesigns done right. Uh, he'll cover six things you need to know to set up your redesign project for success, uh, and go over a list of ten mistakes institutions usually make and how to avoid them. So maybe if, if you wouldn't mind just tweeting out a link to the sign-up and the information for that webinar, that would be great.
0: Yeah, definitely. We'll get that out in, in just a moment here. Uh, I encourage everybody to sign up for that. Uh, I certainly will. Um, all right, so let's move on to myth reality number two. Print is dead to teens. Uh, this is one that is near and dear to my heart because I have run the professional roller, roller coaster as it relates to print. Um, I was Mr. Print back in 2003 when I started in admissions. Uh, and then I drank the Kool-Aid you know, around 2010, 2011, 2012, when everybody was saying print was dead and you had to do everything digital and, and move everything online. Uh, but then we saw the results of that and we saw the pushback that we were getting from uh, students and parents on the lack mm-hmm. of print uh, in our admission uh, strategy. Um, so over the last couple of years, we've kind of gone back to, you know, kind of our um, our old methods in a lot of cases in terms of, you know, making sure that we're not doing uh, acceptances just in a portal, but they're getting a physical accept pack in the mail. Um, we've even reinstated, don't, don't, you know, shoot the messenger here, you know, some prospect and inquiry uh, mailings for select audiences that we think are, are higher yield, um, but overwhelmingly, uh, we have heard from students and parents, even though you have every hashtag that says, you know, the college mail hashtag with everything's in the garbage and or lighting it on fire, that they do want that as part of their uh, recruitment process. So I'm saying it, print is not dead for teens.
1: Wow, cool. Well, uh, 20% of uh, professionals uh, of uh, of our colleagues responded that they th- said that they thought that print influence teens' opinion in college. So I'd say that the sentiment among our co- our colleagues is that uh, they believe teens don't pay much attention to print. And when Gil and I did um, the uh, research on myth-busting admissions, that was our first uh, series, our first um, uh, research project like this, we included uh, images of Instagram, uh, from Instagram of kids, you know, just with these big armfuls of pack of, of uh, view books and stuff and, uh, you know, to, to, uh, as a way of communicating about uh, how they felt about a lot of, a lot of the stuff that they got. Um, Gil, what did the, what did teens say about, uh, about this this time though, when we asked them about their, uh, how print influenced their opinions of the college?
2: Yeah, and, and before I get into the team data point, I have a, a quick aside. I think it's very interesting that, you know, Adam hit the nail on the head that it's, you know, well, print is definitely a part of the mix, right? And to completely remove it from from all of your communications would, would definitely spell um, some doom and gloom for, for a lot of your efforts. Um, it sounds like, Adam, you've, you've experienced a little bit of that. The I think the, you know, and the, but the fact that 20% of our respondents on the professional side said that they, that, print that they felt teens were influenced their opinions were influenced by print yet i would i would presume that close to 100 percent of those respondents are actively using print as a big part of their recruitment portfolio is is very interesting so we we I, maybe the pendulum on perception is swung a little bit too far into that direction because what we found is that um, out of the influencers of teen opinion, about thirty percent of teens said that that print did impact the uh, their perception of, of a of a college. And that's positively or negatively, and I, I think what that says um, is that print is still definitely a part of the mix, but it's part of a you know a, 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 a of, of exactly that a mix, right? There's uh, a place for print in your in your overall outreach. I think Adam, you you, you pointed out acceptance packets, right? there's still that value in that tangible piece of mail that says congratulations you're in right you can run up and down the hallway with an acceptance packet you can take pictures and post on social media with an acceptance packet you can't really do that when you see the notification on your phone or you see it on a, on a computer in, the, in your portal those are fine too but the accept packet is still at that tangible piece of real Information and and on the and what's what's interesting and we'll we'll talk about this in a little bit too with respect to things like social media you know thirty percent of students said that that print impacted their opinions um, only twenty two percent said social media did from official social from official college channels so there's this uh, kind of you know behavior to put a lot of effort and investment in social which we we still should but um, you know we we need to temper our uh, our expectations with with how much impact these different channels have because, um, you know, print, uh, I, Adam, you're, you're two for two now uh, because, uh, you know, print is definitely not dead. It's just part of a broader overarching strategy um, and not the only arrow in your quiver with respect to reaching and engaging students. So focusing your, your print messaging on students who are well-matched based on your predictive analytics, based on all of your historical enrollment data, looking at where students are coming from, leveraging the tools in your at, at hand, whether it's in Core Data Lab or your Institutional Research Department or your own ability to use pivot tables in Excel, whatever, whatever it is that you're using to, to, to evaluate your outcomes, print is still a, 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 a big component of that for sure.
0: And I think this is one of those things that you can certainly customize this for your campus and the student body that you serve. I mean, one of the really interesting right. things that we have seen over the years is that, you know, when you talk about posting your accept packet on your accept letter on social media, if if we we broke down kind of the information and it, first generation college students post that information at a higher rate uh, than non first gen students. And but that makes some sense. It's more of a celebration. This is more of a you know, uh, something that hasn't happened in their families, uh, you know, lifetime. So it, it, it's a it's a bigger deal. So that makes sense. And and again, girl, I completely agree. You can't do that with a portal announcement. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Know,
2: so. it, it's it's great that you bring up the first gen piece too, because we did dive a little bit deeper on print to see um, and in a few other areas. And we might do a separate our write up with some uh, some key findings. But um, first gen students were over a third said that they that they were, their opinions were influenced by, by, by print materials they received from the school. So there's that thirst for that tangible piece. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, like you said, it's their first time through this process. Their, their parents don't necessarily have the frame of reference that, that legacy students might have. So that they're using this information as a Bible, which I would say, and I'm going to be on my soapbox here for a second on well-matching, is why it's more important for college admissions and enrollment people to be smarter about their use of print materials in their recruitment mix because what we're doing when we send out these giant list mailers to students who are not well matched, who are are not a a good fit for our institution, for these students specifically, first-gen students, we are confusing the process and making it more challenging for them, right? So the better we can be about matching our message with the right students, the less we're going to confuse the process for those kids. Because the reality is, is those first, those, those legacy students, the high achievers, they're filtering their list before they even get those search mailers. So you, you may as well do a better job of making your data smarter overall.
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and one, one thing I just wanted to, to throw in here, you know, in terms of uh, how different channels influence teen opinion, uh, the website is the most important, 62% of teams said that was their, their main influence in their uh, opinion of an institution.
0: And then when you talk to vice presidents of enrollment management, they'll say the website is the biggest challenge in terms of making that the, the primary yeah. recruitment tool for uh, students. And I think we, we acknowledge that how important it is, uh, but getting to where we want to be proves very difficult uh, in, in many
1: times. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's right. And you know, when you think about the fact that institutions have only been really thinking about how to manage their websites effectively since about 2000 uh, and, and have been publishing stuff since what, you know, 1970 or so or before
2: since paper. Um,
1: yeah, we, you know, we've got, we've got some time to uh, You know, really get up to speed on what the what the web requires, and of course, the challenge is it's been changing all the time.
0: Yep, absolutely. All right, well, we're just we're calling it that. I'm two for two, so let's move on to myth reality number three. Uh, Teens prefer online interactions to face to face, Uh, and I thought this was really interesting. And my guess is um, that professionals are definitely split on this issue. Um, I think that we feel, uh, we as the industry feel that students have become such digital natives that they prefer all their interactions online, both for the convenience, but also the impersonal um, aspect of it. There's less pressure. You're not in front of a admission counselor. You're not in front of an administrator. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's how students uh, feel. I think that they don't want to talk to me. Uh, I don't think they want to talk to a higher end administrator in the in enrollment management. Uh, they may not necessarily want to talk to a director of admission. I think they want to talk to, you know, someone that they feel is accessible uh, and someone that they feel can be more of a f- friend through the process, you know, a, you know, an admission counselor, for instance. Um, and, you know, we've done some A-B testing with communications uh, coming from my office, coming from both myself or the director and then coming from an individual as a mission counselor. And you can see the interaction increase from students that are getting uh, emails, text messages, and the like from an admission counselor rather than what's perceived as a higher level administrator. Um, so uh, I think they'll be split, but I think students will say that there's still a place for face-to-face interactions through the recruitment and admission cycle.
1: Well, that's, that's that's an interesting response, and I think you've hit on two things there. Um, one is that um, students, uh, that um, there's uh, often a misunderstanding because people in higher ed are kind of uh, thinking about a more hierarchical approach to communication uh, that uh, teens might be interested in hearing more from a more senior person, which certainly from you know from a development standpoint, mining standpoint, to a pros- uh, fundraising prospect, but but not necessarily a team. And the second is that um, there's a component that you're suggesting there that's not only a face-to-face personal interaction, but a personal interaction that's mediated by some kind of technology. Um, so, not su- surprisingly. Um, And in general, um, professionals underestimate the interest teens have in communicating by email and overestimate their interest in social media. So in general, um, professionals don't believe that teens really value very much uh, in personal uh, conversations, particularly during the phase when teens are researching colleges. Uh, On the other hand, when teens are uh, accepting or deciding professionals believe that they really do value those kinds of communications and uh, professionals believe that teens really value email very highly uh, and um, so let's let's talk about though what teams say
2: yeah and i and first of all i just want to say that if anybody ever doesn't want to talk to adam i I would highly recommend it. So any student who doesn't want to talk to Adam, we, they, they really should. The, I, I, so it's, it's interesting because, you know, Michael mentioned things like email and and direct mail, there's definitely again, value for, for those types of communications that are not face to face, but they are, um, you know, direct to the student, giving them the information. Uh, but when, when we look at the the data, um, you know, Michael hit the nail on the head with things like social media, you know, the, the. Professionals perceive over half of the professionals perceived or, or believe that the teens would say that they they prefer that channel um, ver, during the the search and the acceptance process. But the reality is is that number tumbles on the student side uh, to to about twenty percent while they're researching and about thirteen percent when they're accepting or deciding. So I think you know those I, I look at that the lens of a student of they're thinking about the the official social media channels from the school which mm-hmm. they're they're not they're they're going to use those as like a, a, a an FAQ or a, a troubleshooting type channel they're not going to or they're going to read maybe the, and we'll get into this in a little bit maybe with the with advertising and that sort of stuff but when they're when they're using a channel like social media they're they're using that to find and engage with other admitted students current students getting their perspective on, on life on campus, they're not necessarily liking your brand page, right? Which is okay, because you have other ways to reach them with your brand page with messaging you want to get out to them. Uh, but, there's, but it's, it's not going to be their, their primary channel for engaging with you, specifically at the, at when, they're, when they're not currently enrolled with your school. When we asked students about the channels that did influence their opinions on colleges, the top channels, aside from the website, again, which we know is a, is kind of an omnipresent, always there, uh, pr- ch- channel of official information for them. Always the, top, there. the top responses were campus visitor tour, a school visit. So a counselor coming to visit them at their school and a phone call for, phone calls from admissions officers. So there's, there's definitely still value in those, those, there's still that thirst for a personal connection. And I've said this um, almost every time we've talked about this topic, that the admissions business is still a people business, right? There's still value in connecting with that person. But Adam, like you said, it's, it's, it's probably mostly to that advocate, that person that they want to be connected with in the office, that person that can go to bat for them in financial aid, um, you, know, uh, you know, scholarship, award conversations, those sorts of things. It's the admissions counselor, right? It's that, it's that person that can be that champion for them. Uh, so anybody that says, that things like high school visits are a complete waste of time is, is actually kind of wrong. The, where, where, where high school visits fall off the rails is when there's not good content at those, those types of opportunities. We could have a whole separate conversation about good and bad travel uh, for, for admissions counselors, but there's, there's uh, definitely that thirst for face-to-face interaction. So again, multi-channel, multi-touch. Offline's not dead it's not a bad place to be connecting with students, but you, you should have a combination of the two. So I'm going to give you a three for three, Adam.
0: Nice. I'll take it. But I think one of the things, uh, you know, that, that I've certainly noticed over the last couple of years is there is a little bit of a lack of engagement, even in the in-person meetings with students. So maybe, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago, you know, we have a group tour, a campus tour, an open house. You know, I just felt, and, and maybe this is just, you know, a bias of you know hearing so much about this uh, lack of engagement from this uh, generation of students. But you know, I, I felt that there was there was more questions, more engagement, uh, a little bit more activity uh, on the students' part. Now I think there's a lot more kind of sitting back and just taking all the information in, um, and not necessarily engaging maybe as much as as students used to. Well, and I still think it's important that they're getting that information and getting that information in person when they have the ability to speak to people if they want to. I just think that desire uh, to gather information, particularly at the, you know, at the introductory phases of recruitment, whether maybe it's an open, a large scale open house or uh, a Mm -hmm. campus tour for a school that you haven't applied to, um, I just think that engagement level is probably a little bit lower than in years past. And and I think that trend will continue uh, because they can get so much information on their own um, just by looking up, you know, FAQs on their phone or or asking a student on Twitter that goes to the school. How do you find this building?
2: Yeah And and but what like when right. they're on a campus tour of a, of a school they haven't heard of or, or have is not super high on their list Potentially what they're doing on that tour is snapping their visit right and sharing it with their friends So or if so if they're having a good time in those types of experiences and they're getting a lot out of it What they're likely doing is broadcasting it to their network in some ways um, and if they're not, then they're using the, the the device to channel out and ignore you. Right. So it's about it's about having a, a good experience for students. And I had to take it back to the high school visit for a second. You know, my when I when I when I was a roadrunner for the University of Hartford, you know, my first day in admissions, I visited four schools, met with two students. Right. And it was, um, you know, and. and The style at the time was the very sales pitchy way of doing a high school visit. Hey, I want to tell you a little about the school. I want to tell you about our colleges and programs. And then, you know, let's have some questions and answers and always led down to what's your average GPA, what's your average SAT score, all that sort of stuff. I think what what would provide more value in those types of situations, and I'm seeing more and more of it, which is great is you know more more being a resource for students coming in and talking to them about the admissions process essay writing workshops financial aid faqs being more of an advisor and a consultant because then you're the really good advisor and consultant that helped me learn about the process and now i'm going to now i'm going to consider bloomfield college more right so those those sorts of um you know changing how we structure those experiences to add more value to the conversation, uh, whether it's a college visit, a college fair, or a open house, right? Being more supportive of students and and making sure, making sure we're having a positive experience. But they're looking for mm-hmm. they're looking for face to face in addition to online
0: engagement,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Instagrammable yeah, you know places to take pictures on campus.
1: There you go. Well, I think I think that's right. I think one of one of the things to remember is that. Um, this is still a very, very personal kind of exploration for every every student. And uh, while, um, while that while it's true that you can sort of create these experiences that are that work for lots of different kinds of teams, um, it's still pretty personal to each one of them, and they're having that they're having that personal reaction that they're sharing with their friends. And sometimes you can find out about it, and sometimes you can't, depending on you know what what channels they're using and how they're going about their sharing.
0: Absolutely. So let's move on to uh, we have number four. Um, online ads are effective at reaching teens, um, and I am certainly on the pro side uh, of using online advertising to reach your uh, core audiences. Um, I think the, the reason for that is simple. I think, you know, students are connected 24 hours a day. Um, all of the things that they're using, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Twitter, um, whether it's any social media network, any browsing um, uh, session that they're in, um, all of that is going to be available to institutions to use. Uh, to market directly to the student. Now, I do feel that um, students have become a bit immune uh, to this, and I think that they just see it as kind of uh, some advertisements, particularly for schools that they're not interested in, as kind of white noise um, that's there, um, but they're never really going to uh, consume uh, that information if you're marketing in the wrong places to the wrong student. So I think from an administrative standpoint in higher ed, we have to be really strategic on, how we're spending that money and where we're spending that money uh, as appropriate to the institution that we work for. But I think from a student perspective uh, that online ads are probably uh, one of the preferred means of students to be marketed to.
1: Hmm. Well, that's that's an interesting response. And let me tell you what other professionals uh, said. 45% said that uh, online ads were effective at creating brand awareness said that they were effective at generating information requests. Uh, 29% said they were effective at generating campus visits. And uh, 25% said they were effective at uh, generating application submissions. Now, if you think about those brand awareness info requests, campus visits, and application uh, submissions, uh, there's a considerable difference isn't there because you can actually measure info requests campus visits and application submissions you can't really measure brand awareness so when i saw that i thought well, what does that mean yeah we we like our ads they're really cool so they must be increasing brand awareness it's a catch-all <laughs> yeah, there, you, there you go that's right
0: yeah
2: so i and on the student side, it's, I mean, there, I guess from our, our survey helps to affirm that maybe that is effective. You know, 67% of students said that they were called seeing ads from colleges on their mobile or computer or on their computer or their mobile device. So they, they do, there is recall of college advertising and over a third, about 36% said that they actually clicked on those ads. So there is, um, you know, that, and so then it's about what's that call to action, but also how are we tracking these types of efforts uh, by uh, on our by our institutions right because at the end of the day when you know Adam when you're when your president comes in and says hey, you know, you need to justify your budget investments, uh, you know, across the board, and we're going to cut it by 20% next year, which, you know, happens. The, the, the challenge is going to be, you know, how do you justify the investment in digital advertising? And if you're not tracking, if you're not attributing those, those ad impressions to actual outcomes, enrollment, campus visitors, etc., it's going to be very hard that, that brand awareness level is, is not going to be, that, that's, that's in the same bucket as why we do billboards and why we do, you know, bus, bus advertising and airport advertising, which on Twitter earlier today, I had a whole diatribe about it. Feel free, at Gil Rogers, check it out. Uh, but, the, but, you know, and, and speaking, so speaking of that, you know, we also asked students uh, where else they had seen advertisements from colleges, TV, radio, etc. cetera. Um, and, you know, the television advertising is up there from a remembering perspective, the issue is, you know, budget availability, and if you're if you're not, you know, a school with a, a, a college football team or a basketball team that's on national TV all the time, it's probably not the best use of your investments. Uh, but there's definitely a, a awareness of 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 digital advertising. You know, YouTube advertising. Students remember seeing it. Things like outdoor, like I just talked about. Many students do remember um, seeing seeing ads from colleges on on billboards or buses or etc. But the number of students that actually impacts their decision to make take that next step and and do more research for those schools is negligible and i I think that that just speaks to again evaluating the goal before using the tool Um, you know outdoor advertising is not a undergraduate student recruitment vehicle it's we do it because the president wants to do it it's we do it because the faculty like to see it it's you know those sorts of things but if you have an open if your open house budget includes a line item for a billboard Use that. Use that on a on a digital campaign instead. I think there's uh, a definitely an opportunity to better use those types of funds from a undergraduate recruitment perspective. Broader marketing mix, sure. I I can see there being a need. Uh, there there can be ways to defend a billboard, but not for not for undergraduate recruitment. But with respect to the overall point, you're now four for four, Adam. So great work.
0: I did, get I did not get the answers beforehand. I promise you, but I think <laughs> you I
2: think there's a lot of.
0: <laughs> I think one of the challenges that I deal with, and I think I'm, I'm on, you know, I'm much more on the digital side of this than, than even a lot of my peers in the field. But one of the challenges that we have on campus as it relates to digital marketing and advertising is the payoff, right? So we, when you're looking through click throughs, you're looking at impressions, you're looking at all these things. We're talking particularly, per, per, particularly with click throughs, these percentages of a percentage, in terms of the students that are seeing the advertising and actually clicking through and going to a, a campus visitation page or going to a major page, whatever you're advertising. And so it becomes very difficult because then you're trying to quantify that and it becomes really complicated to try to find, because a lot of it is brand, though we hate to use that term, but it's they saw the ad and then maybe in two hours, they're gonna come back to your website, but it might not necessarily be through the advertising link that you know prompted that behavior. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. really hard to quantify at the college level because we just don't have the resources and the people to do that kind of work in a lot of respects. So I think yeah. that's one of the challenges because you can see a billboard, you can see a bus ad, you can see uh, these different things and, and your trustees see them and your faculty see them yeah. and they report yeah. back and say how great they look. But, you know, even if they get digital advertising, uh, whether they get IP targeting or, or what have you, um, it's not going to have the same impact. Uh, because when we report on those numbers, they're just seeing really tiny percentages of students. And so if you don't have that monster freshman class or that monster open house that you can directly attribute to these campaigns, it becomes difficult to um, justify the, the the spend.
2: Yeah, and, that, and that's where I think the the importance with you know attribution and this is going to get in the weeds on digital marketing for one second but attribution tracking you know in, in conversion tracking using you know pixels to be able to track you know students saw or clicked your ad then two hours later or two days later went to your site and did whatever that desired outcome was right like if i did an open house ad and student clicks through the ad on their phone chances are they're not filling out that form on their phone because not not only because maybe your forms suck on mobile which many schools do but it's it's more so because they need to talk to their parents about the schedule they need to talk to their, they need to look at you know their their clubs and activities and sports when can they fit it in And then their parents are gonna sit with them at the laptop or the desktop computer and actually fill out that form. So using things like attribution tracking, super big brother digital marketing stuff, you can track students across those devices, right? So, uh, but that's again, like you said, Adams, not stuff you're necessarily gonna be equipped to do yourself. Uh, So you have to make sure when you're working with a, a digital marketing partner to incorporate those things into your strategies.
1: Well, you know, the, 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 other, the other point to keep in mind here is that you're going to have zero intelligence on how, um, how many students have seen your billboards and uh, taken action in response to your billboards. So the difference between a fairly small sample that clicked through a digital ad, that's measurable. Uh, and the, the, you know, the kind of measurement that you'll have with your billboards is that your trustees will be really proud of them and like the fact that they're out there on the highway and they pass them every day on their, on their commute to work. Uh, so I'm not saying they aren't valuable. It's just that you can't measure those in any substantial way.
0: Michael, I've been there and it's a great feeling to get those comments. I have to yeah. tell you. Um, yeah. But, okay, so let's move on. Um, actually, you know, I think this is a good time to take just a moment and, and kind of break down for the audience who actually took the survey, uh, from, you know, both the higher ed administration and a student perspective. So, Michael, why don't we start with you?
1: Sure. Um, we, we, um, sent out, uh, emails to a targeted list of people who work in admission, enrollment, uh, higher ed marketing, communications, and web management. And uh, we had 798 responses that we included in the final survey. We had some incompletes that we didn't include. And um, not surprisingly, the respondents work across multiple functions, sometimes, of course, not surprisingly. Also, combining a couple of these, uh, nearly half were in marketing. Many were in communications, 29% worked on the web, uh, and a quarter in admissions, that was their primary focus. And as far as institutions, 43% of respondents worked at public uh, institutions, 30% at private universities, 16 at liberal arts colleges, community colleges, and some professional schools. And uh, more than fifty fifty percent have worked in higher ed for five to fifteen years.
0: That's a good that's a good mix. I mean, uh, you pretty much have everything covered. I'm I'm, I'm actually surprised that it's it's a, such a high marketing lean, which I think is great for the survey results. Kale, can you talk a little bit about the students?
2: Awesome, yeah. Um, so on the student side, we surveyed about seventeen hundred total responses. Um, out of that, the, about 53% were juniors and 30% were sophomores. We really wanted to focus on students who were um, in the midst of their college search process. Uh, and of that, what's, what's very interesting is that, this, uh, that 66% or so of the students uh, used a smartphone to respond to this study, uh, versus 96% of professionals using a laptop. Um, that sixty-six percent is pretty astonishing, considering the length of the survey um, and the number of options that they had in various different components. Uh, so it's a it it, it it what it does is it speaks to you know where students are. Uh, with respect to engaging with content. Uh, so you know, mobile first strategy a- across the board. Um, most of the students were um, in the process of, of currently researching colleges, 52%, um, and about a third were in that deciding to apply phase, a uh, deciding where to apply phase. So they were past the general research and it could be somewhat reflective on earlier engagements and speak to more about where they were, they're, they're, they're building their list piece of the, of the process.
1: Yeah, I just want to. I just want to underscore what uh, what Gill said there, because really, um, there were some fairly uh, extensive answers to some of the open-ended questions, and you know, these these teens actually entered those phone, those uh, answers. It's from my iPhone, <laughs> yeah, you know, my That's my phones are too crazy. big. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
0: mean that, that is definitely a generational thing because I can't I can't write more than three sentences in an email response on my phone. Um, yeah, so you my, will not find too big. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can. I'm, I'm a I'm a one. I'm a hunt and peck guy. I'm I'm not the. I can't do that. Uh, anyway, so let's get back to the myths. Um, retargeting is creepy and turns teens off. Um, so uh, with this one, I, I think I'm pretty clear particularly from the student perspective uh, I think, and I've, this is what people have told me time and time again, is is retargeting is really a, a, a fundamental strategy now for colleges and universities. I mean, if you're gonna start somewhere, start, uh, if you're gonna start somewhere online, start with retargeting uh, off of your website. Um, and I think, again, this has become almost a student expectation. You know, if they visit a site, uh, if they're poking around, particularly if they're going deeper into the site that ultimately that school is going to uh, interact with them uh, via retargeting Uh, so first certainly I want to know if I'm right but second definitely give like the short you know short and sweet answer to what retargeting is in case somebody doesn't understand
1: well I'm, I'm kind of revealing my bias here but retargeting is what happens when you Happen to look at a pair of shoes, and everything you, every website you look at after you look at that pair of shoes shows you an ad for guess what, that exact same pair of shoes that you looked at on uh, the uh, Amazon.com website or wherever you saw them. They show up everywhere. That's essentially what retargeting is. Um, And um, you know, uh, you're you're right, Adam. Retargeting is a part of the world that we all live in. Um, so, we, we experience it all the time and teens who spend so much time online using all kinds of tools uh, and, and uh, sites that are supported by advertising, um, of course, uh, see it to a really great extent. Um, it may or may not surprise you to know that 90% of professionals think teens react somewhat positively, positively, or very positively to targeting. And only uh, 20% of professionals think teens have a neutral reaction. So we, we, we think as a group that teens uh, have a positive reaction to this stuff and that it doesn't impact their opinion of our institutions negatively in any way.
0: All right, um, I'm very interested to see what Gil's about to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're definitely in
1: that,
2: you're definitely in the admissions officer or marketing officer bucket here on this one, Adam. So um, you're in that 90 percent uh, feel as at least neutral or or positive or or negative or uh, very positive. Interestingly, on the student perspective, about ha- or about 60 percent, 57 percent of uh, of students who were aware of retargeting, which was about half of in and of itself. So about half of students said that they remembered being retargeted. They didn't say retargeting because we did, you know, students aren't going to know what retargeting is. But we asked students if you noticed an ad from a college after you're visiting their website on a social channel or a website, about half said that they noticed. And about, but about 60% of those said that it had no effect on their perception of the college. So it didn't have a bad effect. But it didn't have a positive effect either. It was a very big middle ground bucket. So this goes back to that whole awareness play from the last question. You know, it can help with brand awareness, but is it really moving the, the needle with respect to um, you know post engagement? Um, you know, there there was about a third of students that said that they had a positive, a somewhat positive, uh, or positive reaction. But those are students who you, you might be targeting through other channels as well. Uh, so I would I would say that. Retargeting is not a bad strategy, right, for for post visitor engagement, but there are definitely a suite of other digital marketing strategies to consider uh, when you have things like custom audience targeting, right? And I'll be quick on this because I know we're going to be short on time, but, you know, you already have access to the data on the students you're recruiting. You know, you have your your suspect pools that you buy from NRCCUA or College Board or what have you, college fairs and visit high schools taking those lists and doing a, uh, doing a custom audience campaign to identify their Instagram ID, their mobile devices, you know, not just their IP addresses, cause those can add, be changed and move and be accurate, et cetera. But their personal devices, their social media accounts and saying dollars on that population that I've modeled that I'm mailing already strategy, then, then retarget, if you had to choose, right. If you had to choose between the multiple strategies that may be more effective because it's more precise the challenge with retargeting is you could be retargeting a parent. You could be targeting a guidance counselor. You could be retargeting, you know, faculty off campus. You can block IP addresses and whatnot, but you're going to be catching a lot of other people that you don't know who they are until they convert to that next, that next phase in the process. So it's, it, it, there's just, be, there's different ways to think about about a digital marketing strategy. So I would say that we're from a scoring perspective, you're, you're, you're yes on the, the fact the admit the, the, professional side, the student side is so middle of the road that i'm I'm inclined to give you that half point anyway.
0: I'll
2: take so. it. I'll take it <laughs> yes.
0: I, I will say you know from a uh, something that I've noticed over the last couple of years is you know when we started retargeting uh, and using IP targeting a couple of years back, there was certainly a little bit of a shock value to that, you know, where students would actually say, and parents would actually say, you know you you know you popped up on our website you know you're talking about accept the student day we thought that was very cool and or creepy um but that is essentially gone i mean i haven't heard that over the last couple of years I, I think it's again now it's become almost yeah. part of you know what they expect
2: yep you're you're right and i think that you know based on the question being is creepy and turns teens off you're right it, do, it doesn't turn teens off it just it's not as it's not moving the needle as, as, as that silver bullet that's gonna change the way that you, that you recruit students would be yeah. the best way to think about it.
0: So this one I'm agonizing over. A bad visit to campus means you're off their list. Uh, and my guess is administrators uh, are going to say yes, that they're putting all their eggs in the campus visit bucket. If, if it goes sideways for whatever reason, Uh, that you're no longer gonna be considered uh, by a prospective student, Um, I agonize over campus tours, I agonize over open house events and the like, um, for just that reason. Uh, I don't think that's the case from the student perspective. I think they can absorb uh, a bad on-campus experience and uh, you're not totally out of the game uh, if you're able to make up that ground, whether that's through a second experience or through uh, some additional outreach uh at the right time Uh, and some of that may be luck uh but some of that can also be strategy you know using things like evaluations from open houses or campus tours or feedback from tour guides uh, which is something that we've uh used quite a bit uh over the last couple years to see who we need to kind of go back out to uh just based on the vibe of an individual campus tour uh so that's where i'm leaning what do you guys think
1: well, you know, it's interesting. I certainly know that um, the admissions people, the marketers, the, uh, the folks I talk to in campuses um, are really aware of how important a campus tour is, a campus visit is for a teen, and how it can make or break uh, their decision about the institution, about whether to accept an offer of admission or to go someplace else, and. In fact, uh, let me just remind you that when we asked about how channels influenced teen's opinion of a college or university, 78% said the campus tour was the most important. Um, so we look at data like that and we say, wow, you know, this is really a big deal. And not surprisingly, 34% of professionals think that a campus visit can negatively, in fact, impact teen's perceptions of a college he or she's interested in. So so you're absolutely right on that part of it, Adam.
2: Yeah, they're in in your camp, Adam, and they're in my camp too, right? I think that, you know, when I was a tour guide, I always remembered that tours on days that it rained, my evaluations were always not as good as the tours when it was sunny and beautiful and nice out, right? And that's out of your Mm -hmm. control, but those are the things you agonize over. If it's going to rain on open house, oh my gosh, this is going to be a terrible day. 65% of teens said that a bad visit negatively impacts their view of a college that they are really interested in. So if they're really interested in your school, there's it that to your point, Adam, there is still hope in getting them back after one bad visit. I would say the 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 extent of the bad visit is probably part of it, right? Rain to a kid who's really interested is not gonna be a detractor versus, you know, a faculty member swearing at them during an open house, right? That would be probably a turnout, right? <laughs> But uh, I would say I, I want my I want my admission staff to have that perspective of you know ninety four percent saying that that a bad experience will turn will will turn a student away because you want that experience to be a positive one. So uh, I would say you you hit the nail on the head for both of them. I'll give you a, what are we at five out of five six whatever you're at. You're you're batting a thousand. That's
0: six for six. I, mean, is, I'm, I, 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 I can just stop now and I think there you go. I you know, I think, I, I think all, I passed,
2: six but, for six would get into the hall of fame.
0: Just right exactly <laughs> but this one this one's obviously a big one uh and i know uh, Gil, this is certainly near and dear to your heart um and it is rankings matter to teens oh just saying that you know gives puts a chill up up the up my spine i'm tweeting
2: that right now rankings matter to teens
0: at, at, <laughs> <Yeah>. well that's <laughs> it. well that's the myth and or uh, <laughs> reality and so my thought is um you know this again this is this is where you come from what institution you're working for, uh, what type of students you're, you're recruiting, I think has a huge advantage. I think on a, in, a broad, um, in a broad sense, I think colleges and administrators are way more concerned about rankings than students. Um, you know, we're agonizing, our borders are agonizing about where we're placing. And again, it depends on your institution. You know, I, I work at an access institution where rankings do not play nearly as big as a role as some other institutions in my state. Um, but, but I, but even so, I, I still feel, you know, these pressures, you know, every year when the, when the ranking circuit comes out. Uh, but I think it, it's much less important for students. I think, uh, again, you're top, taking the top 5% of students in the country uh, that are looking exclusively at, you know, Ivy League institutions. I think that's one thing. Uh, but I think for the vast majority of students, they're way more interested in fit, way more interested in uh, the experience that they have on campus and, and certainly way more interested in in knowing, you know Other people that have attended the institution and hearing from them uh, Or their school counselor or about the institution and how you know, they feel about it rather than reading about it in a magazine What do you think?
1: Well, that's interesting uh, that's that's quite uh, quite a quite an interesting response and we'll hear what students said in just a minute of course and uh, and one, one of the things that we did here, we cheated a little bit in our answer. Uh, we asked, the, the, the question was really about, the myth was really about rankings and do rankings matter to teens. But really the proxy for rankings on most campuses is U.S. News and World Report. And, uh, you know, we're not trying to pick on U.S. News and World Report, but the fact is that inside, in-house and out-of-house, that's the best known ranking that that people use and 80 percent of campus professionals believe teens use and value u.s news rankings
2: yeah, and, and and adam's right again because you know 80 percent of professionals believe that students use them but when we asked teens 70 percent of our responses said they either didn't use rankings one from the exhaustive list of what we would consider mainstream rankings that we gave them. So we gave them U.S. News, we gave them niche, we gave them Forbes, we gave them you know all the top um, you know and a few a few lesser known ones, right? And they they did not choose any of them when given that list. So um, 70 percent of students not using uh, rankings when when researching schools. So I think you're absolutely right, Adam, that there's this overemphasis on campus, and it's because it it it. Like, just like billboards, right? The president cares, the board cares, the faculty care, but the students not as much.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. One of my fr- friends in the field equated it to Consumer Reports a while back. You know, as an adult, you know, one of the things that you hear about a lot is you know rankings and and things using Consumer Reports. But yet, you know, less than one percent of the population that buys stuff uses Consumer Reports to buy things. You know, we're using Amazon. We're using other people's input rather than a magazine that's telling us which dishwasher is the best. We're going on Amazon and then we're reading the 400 reviews from real people uh, saying, you know, what they liked or disliked about uh, a product. So it's a, it's just a different way of thinking. I just don't think people think that way. And I think for students, again, the vast majority of students are just looking for their next home. They want to feel comfortable, uh, and they're not going to get that from a ranking system.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, again, that um, reinforces the value of personal connections that they're making and the fact that uh, they're doing a gut check when they come on campus. So, you know, that that's where the the uh, information will be gathered that really helps them finalize and confirm the decision that that they that they're making.
0: I'm glad how that one turned out i was hoping yeah. that was the, that's the direction yeah, we were going to go
1: you're you're doing really well here adamant and we we saved we saved the uh perhaps most difficult one for last so let's see how you do on this. all one. right
0: well the most difficult one may be students do not want colleges to text them uh, and i am biased on this because i am definitely uh an early adopter of using texts as one of our primary platforms to uh, reach out to students. Um, So I think this is certainly from a student perspective, I believe it's false, Uh, but I think there is a caveat here. I think that there has to be uh, an opt-in to the text messaging um, uh, platform uh, before you reach out to students via text. I think if if you do that, um, it's all good. Uh, And we've seen a, a very high interaction rate uh, with text messaging, um, students, in fact, you know, about, I think the last count, about two thirds of our phone calls go unanswered, um, but we're getting a much higher response rate and engagement rate uh, via text for students that opted into our text messaging platform. Mm-hmm. So I think that the field in general is, is probably still late to this game. Uh, and from the higher ed administrative side, I, I can see a lot of people saying that might be too intrusive, uh, and saying it maybe maybe not be an effective uh, mode of communication, but I think from the student perspective, I think it's welcomed at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly, 60% 66% of professionals said that having a college text a teen would positively impact his or her view of the college. So we didn't specific, we didn't ask about uh, opt in or opt out, uh, you know, uh, and that might have changed that somewhat. But basically. Uh, Two thirds of our colleagues have uh, think that it, uh, texting creates a positive impression, but interestingly enough, forty three percent said that that their college does not text pers- prospective students.
0: I think, and I think that's a huge missed opportunity. Um, yeah. And hopefully, and, Gil backs me up right now. <laughs> and the
2: and the data would say you're right. I think it's it's interesting. You know, we. We have this, on the print side, we have this whole feeling of 20% only say that students are, are impacted positively by print, yet everybody still does it, right? But then on the texting side, two-thirds say that teens would be positively impacted and less than half do it. Um, 82% of teens re- recall or have never received a text message from a college, while over half, 56%, said that it would impact their, their, perspective, their perspective positively. So, um, that definitely is a missed opportunity. I think the biggest, um, the biggest takeaway here though, is that it, it needs to be done right. I think mean, if we treat text messaging, like an old school search campaign where you buy a bunch of names and then send them a bunch of stuff, it's not going to be as effective, you know, opt-ins matter for sure. And content matters, you know, students don't want a fluffy, you know, Hey, click here to learn more about Bloomfield college, right? They want what they want are, reminders about deadlines upcoming events they've registered for i remember when i was at the university of new haven was the first year we did uh text messaging and it was through our crm and what we did was we just said you know any student who signed up for open house this weekend we're going to send them a quick text on on thursday that's a reminder and where to park you know open house starts at six o'clock hey looking forward to seeing you open house starts at six o'clock parking is in lot d see you there Right. Students want that type of content. You know, seven, close to 80% said deadline reminders, 71% said upcoming events, two thirds said event registration reminders and confirmation. So it's, it's timely act they don't want to screw up, right? They don't want to screw up the process. So um, getting in, in, important information that they've opted into and reminders of what they need is is viable and and helpful right so um I, and it, but if you treat it like an old school search campaign you're going to poison the well for everybody and students are going to stop giving their phone numbers to every school so do it right or don't do it at all is the is the best piece of advice that i that i can give so i think i think we're good to say that adam batted a thousand for this for this I, entire uh thing he's going into the higher ed live hall of fame so congratulations
1: yeah yay
0: <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. No, this is, i mean, this was incredibly uh, insightful, and I and I think uh, certainly the listeners are, are going to get a lot out of it. I think one one thing I just want to say on the text messaging is uh, we saw a huge difference in um, accepting text as a, a mode of communication when it became a two-way conversation. You know, when we were blasting out of our CRM, we didn't have the ability to take incoming text uh, via the CRM. Uh, and then we move to a, a more robust platform, and now we can have a conversation, almost all of our texts now are either questions or certainly open-ended that would allow uh, students to engage in a conversation, and then we rank that. We, we, we bring that information in, and if a student, we're finding if students are really engaged on text that so they have a higher propensity to visit campus, and they obviously are uh, enrolling at a higher rate, and it's really interesting data, and so I, I can't wait to have you know several more years of that data to see you know what actual influence it has that engagement has on a student's uh, ability to enroll yeah
1: that 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 seems to be the case at other institutions too and it's you know an, an indication of engagement uh, you're not going to see it on uh, social channels, probably, but you are going to see it in text. And the great value is that, you know, we talked about that personal connection that students really want. Well, they can establish a personal connection with a counselor or, um, you know, prospective student or a, a student that they've had an interaction with, uh, a tour guide or, or a student who's interviewed them in, in the admission office and that's an indication of their interest so uh that's that's right
0: great well we did tweet out a link to uh sign up to receive the research and white paper uh from m Stoner and our ua uh, a few minutes ago so i encourage everybody to jump on the higher ed live twitter handle uh click that link and fill out that information so you can be the first to get this uh, information when it is uh, sent out and when do we think that that is going to be made uh public
1: uh, I would guess probably in the next two weeks, as uh, soon as we can. We're we're looking at. I'm actually proofing the first draft right here. Spoiler <laughs> alert! It's 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 actually this draft is pre gill so I want to look at this at this first before Gill. And uh, Mike Annis, who's our research partner in this, has just done a ter- terrific job. And uh, I'm going to go over it for. Uh, for stuff first before they get a chance to have have the, have a go at it.
2: Awesome. Spo- spoiler cool. alert: the cover is beautiful. Yeah.
0: You know that. That's great. No, but uh, people will get a lot out of it. So I, I can can encourage you more to to go online and sign up for that. Gentlemen, we are now in, in emissions live. Over time, it doesn't happen often, uh, but okay. I really appreciate it. Uh, Michael and Gil, this was fantastic, and thank you for joining me on emissions live today.
1: Great. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. Great it. To be here. Take care. Great.
0: So, and thank you, as always, M. Stoner, you make us go. Uh, a big thank you goes out to our program sponsor, NRCCUA. We'll see you next time on Emissions Live.